0: Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast channel. My name is Justine Coray and I will be the host for today's podcast. And today I'm inviting Astrid Reichenheisen, an equine surgeon working at the veterinary clinic Durstede. Hello, Astrid, and thank you for being here today.
1: Hello, Justin. Nice meeting you. Uh, nice to meet you too. Uh, actually, I'm not working at the clinic, do you say that? I am an equine consultant surgeon, and do surgery all over the country and all over, all over germ, uh, Europe. So that's what my profession is at the moment. Okay, thanks
0: for this precision. Uh, Before we start talking about your article, would you please introduce yourself a little bit more to our listeners?
1: That's a nice question, because I'm an equine surgeon since a long time. I started in 1980 as an equine surgeon at the University of Utrecht and worked there at a large animal department and since um, 2008 I was working at the University in Vienna as a full professor of soft tissue surgery and since 2010 I'm a consultant surgeon and doing surgeries wherever they want me to. I like teaching other vets to perform surgeries, I like teaching students, I, like, I also um, do still some research and try to promote everybody writing articles. Thank you. Uh,
0: that will lead us nicely to our topic today, which is an article you wrote. Uh, the title of the article is "Neurologic Deficits and Surgical Treatment in a Horse Affected with Internal Carotid Artery Tortuous Elongation." Um, So in this uh, study, uh, I saw that a two-year-old arm blood gilding was presented with history of bilateral feed material coming from the nostrils, secondary to dysphagia, coughing and impairment of physical development since the purchase of this horse at six months of age. Um, You start your article talking about neurogenic dysphagia. Would you please explain to our listeners what It is and how it can happen in horses, please.
1: Um, Neurogenic dysphagia is actually a difficulty in swallowing food. And in this specific case, it's caused by a deficiency in the nervous system. That could be in the central system or it could be peripheral. And it's actually just a swallowing disorder caused by a neurological problem.
0: Okay. And you also mentioned that is it is often encountered with the guttural pouch mycosis in equids. Uh, could you please remind the function and importance in horses of the guttural pouch because it's specific to them?
1: Okay, okay. as I understand it. Uh, the act of, obviously act of swelling, that's a highly complex neuromuscular process and that requires pre- precise bilateral coordinations of more than about 25 muscles, and um, and if that is um, not functioning well, then you have just this fascia. And that can be caused by a direct or indirect uh, trauma. Indirect, and you have to think about overstretching of the head. It can um, also be caused by pressure on the cranial nerves due to, for instance, a cutural pouch mycosis. And, of course, due to an aneurysma, which we're going to talk about later on. And therefore, the cutral pouch is very important. The cutral pouch is uh, a connection between the middle ear and the pharynx, and it's a connection with the uh, over the nasopharyngeal ostium, where it's connected to the pharynx. So it's actually an auditory diverticle. And the functions are um, not really well known, but a lot, a lot of people have theories about that. And one of them that it is a pressure equilibration across a tympanic membrane. And it's also known as a resonating chamber for focalization. so if the horse makes a sound, and it might also function as a flot- flotation device. Keeping the head of the horse a little bit uh, stable. And the latest news about it is that it's a selective brain cooling. So uh, the blood is carried by the internal carotid artery at a specific temperature. And because it's floating again uh, alongside the cutural pouch, the temperature stays below the core body temperature especially during hypothermia after an induced exercise. So the internal carotid artery supplies blood to the brain, is enveloped by the air-filled pouch, and then it's possible by the air that the blood is cooled during exercise. So that's an additional function. Okay. Um, um, I would like to add something. Yeah, of course. course although the cutural pouch is a very important organ, uh, it's also very susceptible for bacterial and uh, mycosis, bacterial infections and myco- fungal diseases. So that causes a lot of problem. And I think it's about three hundred to forty milliliters of air that can be in the cutural pouch. So.
0: And do you know why it can be so susceptible to bacterial infection?
1: Um, mm, because it's an open um, connection to the pharynx. That's why it's susceptible for mycosis, and also the um, the oxygen level is different. And furthermore, it's very important that inside the cu- not the uh, nerves, the cranial nerves are close to the uh, tutoral pouch. And that's why if there's infection, there can be pressure on those nerves. Because those infections are especially at that side of the uh, tutoral pouch, it's the medial dorsal side, where those arteries are um, lying. And those arteries are close to the nerves. And if there is an infection and an inflammation, then it will give a pressure on the nerves.
0: Um, about these cranial nerves that are hosted in the guttural pouch, cranial nerves from 9 to 12. Uh, would you be able to remain the main functions of these nerves
1: in horses? Yeah, that's a nice question because everybody knows that you always have to repeat that for yourself and find to look for it because you don't need that very much. But anyway, the, um, the 9 nerve, that's the glossopharyngeus, And the ten as the vagal nerve, they both uh, have a function in the muscles of the pharynx and larynx. So if the nerves are compromised, then it might cause a problem with um, swallowing. In this case, dysphagia. Furthermore, they uh, also have a function for the glossopharyngeus. Has also a function in taste on the back part of the tongue but that's a sensory function. Then you have the accessory nerve that is more um, responsible for the motor innervation of the trapezius, the versus, versus, the sternocleidomastoid, and the brachocerfaricus. And if that nerve is not functioning, then the horse will have an atrophy, uh, atrophy of the neck muscles and that might cause that it is a little bit... M- orthopedic problem, it can't pull the shoulder forward, so that's a little bit different. And then you have this last one, the 12s, that's a hypoglossal, and that's the motor innervation for the tongue muscles, which in this specific case was not changed. That's the most important ones in that plica, plica, inside the guttural pouch.
0: Thank you. You mentioned that morphologically anomalous course of the parapharyngeal internal carotid artery is a rare condition in humans. Uh, What was interesting to me in your article is that you make several parallels with human medicine and equine medicine. And I was wondering why in this specific case you were doing this.
1: Yeah, but that's interesting because if you know the problem and we had these patients and we were looking inside the tutel pouch and we saw this anomaly and we didn't know that. So what you're going to do firstly is look in all the equine veterinary literature and we couldn't find anything. Then you're going to look at other animals. We didn't find anything about this subject as well. (laughs) Then you go to the human literature and then interestingly there was a lot of articles written about this subject. And although you have a tortuous internal carotid artery extracranially in human beings, it happens quite a lot, but it doesn't cause very often problems. When it causes the same problems as we described for the horse, with the exception that you also have dephonia, which we didn't check in this horse as well. And because the human don't have a cutural pouch, they have also, you can see the swelling of the uh, internal carotid artery inside the pharynx and you can see pulsating it. And also people have, can feel that swelling in the pharynx and that's quite irritating. So there is some differences, but actually the symptoms are quite similar. So it occurs quite a lot in human beings, but it doesn't cause uh, very much symptoms. So that's why we looked into the human literature because we couldn't find anything about it on in equine. That that's an interesting comparison. Um,
0: how common is tortuosity of internal carotid artery in horses, and what do you think are usually the main causes? And that what could have caused it in the case of this horse?
1: Um, now we are aware that it might be a problem we're going to look differently to the endoscopy of the cultural pouch, and we have seen more different uh, runnings of the internal carotid artery. You see some looping, you see some uh, tortuous mm-hmm. arteries now, because you're now much more aware. So I think that it might uh, be a problem more, but we were not aware of this problem. It might not directly cause compression on the nerves, but we should consider it when we do- see those changes in the cutoral pouch. And why we were tricked? Because there was a difference between the left and the right cutoral pouch, and if it had been the same, we wouldn't have thought about it. But because it was different, left and right, we thought, hmm, this is strange, this is rare, it might cause a problem. Also because we couldn't find any other cause for the dysphagia. you had another question on that? How often does, yeah, I don't know. It's rare, probably. And what it might cause, then we also went back to the um, human literature, and you see it in young patients and in elderly patients. In young patients, it's considered to be congenital, and in elderly patients, it's considered to be a degenerative disease of the arteries, of the arterial wall, And under hypertension, uh, it it can dilate your artery, especially in people with arteriosclerosis due to smoking, for instance, Mm -hmm. or due to fibromuscular dysplasia, which is a disease which weakens the arterial wall. So if there's hypertension, the artery dilates, and when it's dilating, it can cause pressure on the nerves. And also in human, it has been uh, a consequence of iatrogenic surgery. And that's in our horse, is not a chance because you can't, we have the cuticle pouch reaching the artery in that area, it's very hard.
0: You just mentioned that it can be due to congenital origin or following atherosclerosis or fibromuscular dysplasia. Yeah. How can these conditions lead to aneurysm of the internal carotid artery?
1: Um, In case of a congenital failure, then it's a torture. And most of the time, if it's congenital, there's a kinking in the artery or just a coiling. A coiling is just more bending of the artery and kinking than there is a stenosis in the artery. So if the blood flow comes in, the artery dilates. In case of the arteriosclerosis and the fibromuscular dysplasia, then the arterial wall, artery wall is weakened and also due to hypertensions or just normal blood pressure. It might dilate and then you see that uh, in human beings you can really see uh, an aneurysma in that artery. And that's what, what they operate on then. And if the aneurysma is there, it causes swelling. It causes maybe also an inflammatory reaction around it and therefore pressure on the nerves.
0: One statement that I found interesting is that the Goulding had been unsuccessfully treated with antimicrobials by the attending veterinarian and was referred to further examination. Why do you think that the veterinarian chose this t- treatment in the first place?
1: Um... Uh, It's a very unfamiliar complaint in a horse. So the veterinarian in in private practice is not always very easy to make a diagnosis. So if you have a horse in which feeds comes out of the nostrils when feeding, and if the horse is not growing that well, developed not that well, and also is coughing, and you might hear something at the lungs, you think, I want to prevent in any way, I want to prevent the pneumonia or some lung problems. So that's why he probably have given the horse the antibiotics, which I do understand because in private practice, you don't have an endoscope immediately to search mm-hmm. what is wrong. So it might be an initial phase to treat the horse. And because I, will, will, I always worked in clinics, and you always have the possibility to do further research. It's much easier to do that. So, I can understand why people start with antibiotics. And I read that in this specific
0: case, the endoscopy was first performed without sedation and then with sedation. What was the reason that made you choose to do both, actually?
1: Um, I'm not an internal medicine lady. (laughs) I'm just a surgeon, but still. (laughs) if If you're performing an endoscopy, in the not sedated horse, you can uh, observe the ability of swallowing much better, because it's much active reaction of the muscles, so you can see change it much easier, and it's more re- you have a much more re- reliable view on the pharynx of the of uh, of the pharynx and the larynx. Unfortunately, the horses don't like it that much, and if you want to go in deeper in the trachea and so on, in the eusovirus, you need some sedation. Mm-hmm. Also, if you do it in the not sedated horse, you can put some drops, you can drop some water on the pharynx and larynx, and you see the reaction more precisely. Otherwise, you can also use an endoscopic instrument in a close situation and touch the pharynx and larynx, and you will see the reaction as well. You have a far much better reaction. That's why we did it, not on the sedation. I understand. Uh,
0: in this case, you use computed tomography for the diagnose. What did it help you diagnose, and how?
1: Um, actually, we tried to do, we couldn't find anything else except this uh, extended artery. And we thought maybe, uh, because one, of the differential diagnosis could have been a cleft palate, which we didn't see either with the endoscopy, and there might be some fractures in, in the skull, which could have caused a here as well, swelling and, uh, and inflammation and pressure on the nerves. So we wanted to exclude that. That's why we did it. And we wanted also to see whether the distended internal carotid artery was also uh, present intracranially and not only extracranial. That's why we did it. And then we found that it was extracranially, not intracranially, and there was no need to do any angiography. So we had sufficient information. It still was not 100% clear that that was the cause of the disease, but we had no other option than this one. So it's actually a diagnosis of the exclusion.
0: But then my next question would be that do you think this could have been diagnosed by any other means? Because I'm thinking about, for example, clinics where they don't have this kind of facilities.
1: Yeah. Then it will be hard to find this out um, because actually you don't see this dilated uh, artery if you are not going to look inside the cutural pouch. And you have also the different ranchcho diagnosis of a cleft palate and then you need endoscopy as well. So actually, it's very hard to make this diagnosis outside a clinic.
0: Okay, um, I read also that uh, based on findings, catheter embolization of the left internal carotid artery was elected to relieve the compression of the on the affected nerves. Could you please talk a bit about this procedure and
1: explain it? Um, the procedure is a well-known procedure for the surgical treatment for cutural pouch mycosis. And you can use this uh, catheter embolization technique or you can use a transirrital coil embolization technique, both are uh, possible. Um, in the clinic where I was now working, we didn't have the ability to use trans-arterial calls, so we choose for the balloon catheterization. And that's a very good method as well, also for the mycosis. Uh, so, you just want to know how we perform the surgery at this moment, don't you? Yes. <laughs> we made an incision just parallel to the wing of the atlas in, under general anesthesia and a slightly oblique above the jugular sheen. Then you uh, prepare into the deep. You look for the uh, carotid artery, the common carotid artery. The most of the time you can find the occipital artery, which is running a little bit more uh, proximal and quarterly and the internal carotid artery is underneath it, start a little bit uh, distal, branch a little bit distally from the common carotid artery running underneath the occipital artery. Then you prepare three, you ligate it just at the sideward branch of, of the common uh, carotid artery. Then you put a Penrose drain around it a little bit distally so that you prevent bleeding if you make an arthrotomy. Um, at that moment, you have the penrose drain present in the ligation. Then you can make your arthrotomy. You put in your sex-french catheter, as a sex-french venous um, thrombectomy catheter, and you advance it uh, cranially about 12 to 13 centimetres, the same as you do for mycosis. Under endoscopic control, you can see the tip of the catheter, and in this case, much easier than in case of mycosis, because in mycosis, there are a lot of inflammatory reaction, which was not present at the moment. So you could really see the catheter coming at the place where you wanted to make the thrombosis. At that moment, if you're there, you fill the balloon with two millilitres of um, um, fluid, or three millilitres, just that it sticks there, and if you tear a little bit on the catheter, it doesn't move, it stays in position. At that moment, um, you leave it in there, and the redundant part of the catheter is buried subcutaneously and you suture the wound that's the procedure and in this case it was easier than with mycosis because you don't have the inflammatory reaction in the cutural pouch
0: okay and for the surgery you made the choice of a modified high overthorotomy approach could you please explain this and the choice for this approach
1: yeah, the, the only difference with the not modified is that it's a little bit more distally. So, that it's easier to approach the common carotid artery and find the internal carotid artery at that location. So, that's why we choose for this approach.
0: Okay. Uh, now, can you please uh, summarize overall the surgical procedures of, the procedure of this horse? How is it effective in this kind of condition?
1: At the moment you uh, make, the, you, you fill the balloon in the catheter, then within two, three hours, there's really a thrombus formation at that place. And if the thrombus is formed, there's no blood supply anymore and there's no hypertension. So it will take away the pressure at, at that location. And if the pressure is taken away, then also the inflammatory erection uh, will, t- will go away, and the pressure on the nerves would go away. Then, of course, there's a question of how long was the nerve already damaged? And it was not severely damaged in the cases it was paralyzed, it was just not functioning as, as optimal as it should do. Mm-hmm. So then you have the question how long would it take to recover for the nerve to function normally, which is not known in horses. And it can, if you read some literature, but that's not really well known, it will, it can take three years. In this case, it was really short, but you couldn't guarantee a success. Uh, so that was just, we told the owner, we're going to try it. And we see because the nerve was not really paralyzed, it might recover and then the problems might resolve. And luckily it did.
0: Hmm. Okay, thank you for clarifying all these points. Would you please talk to our listeners a little bit about now the follow-up of the surgery?
1: Yes, um, surgeries are not without risk. The recovery of the horse was very well, but we had some slight bleeding post-operative, which caused a slight swelling. And if we performed the endoscopy, Two days after the surgery, we saw a slight swelling underneath the cutural pouch. That didn't cause any problems for the horse, but it was there, and it uh, diminished in a few days. Um, Then we looked at the endoscopy seven days post-operative, and then we saw that really the size of the artery was diminished. It was not as huge as it was before. So... We succeeded in thrombosis of the artery, and we saw that the size diminished, hoping that the inflammatory reaction and the pressure on the nerve would be gone. At that moment, the horse was still uh, having feed from the nostrils after feeding, but it took some weeks, about seven weeks. Within seven weeks, that problem was solved. And that was actually the goal of our treatment. So we were very happy about that. And seven weeks after the surgery, the horse came back again. And then we looked inside the uh, cuticle pouch and we saw the occluded artery. We saw that it was not giving any pressure on the nerves again. Clinically, the, the symptoms had diminished. We also initially saw at the beginning, at the starting when the horse came in, a dorsal displacement. Which was not was still present at seven weeks post-operative, initially with also a delayed closure of the left arytenoid cartilage, which was still present, but the dysphagia and coughing had resolved. We saw uh, some weeks ago we saw the horse back again, and then also the the delayed closure of the left arytenoid. Cartilage was gone and there was no dorsal displacement anymore, and the horse was starting training. So that was a really good result. We were very happy about that. Um, we also had uh, initially, because you also have to remove the artery, sorry, you have to remove the catheter, and that is done within 10 days after surgery, initial surgery. And that's also, you make a small incision. Uh, and then pick up the catheter and remove it. And most of the time, the balloon is already empty at that time, so it's very easy to remove it. And then if there's no infection, you can close the wound, but in this case, it was a slight um, mucopurulent infection, so we left the wound open to heal, but that was closed within a few days.
0: Could you please explain how, in this case, the internal carotid artery abnormality impaired the swallowing of the force, leading to nasal discharge?
1: Um, the, the, the thought is that due to the distension of the artery and the coiling and kinking of the artery at that place, then there was pressure on the nerves. And by these pressures on the glossopharyngeal nerve, the vagal nerve, and we think probably most of it is the vagal nerve, was causing the dysphagia. It was not functioning well, it was not paralyzed, but it was just uh, a palsy, so it was uh, compressed and therefore causing the dysphagia. Is that what you meant? Yes.
0: Okay. You mentioned also that the computed tomography examination should, could exclude f- further pathologies leading to dysphagia. Would you be able to mention a, f- a few of these pathologies in horses?
1: A fracture or a periosteal bone formation might cause these pressures also on the nerves. So that was why we needed a CT to exclude that.
0: Thank you for answering these questions. Would you like to share uh, some summary or conclusion of your study with our listeners?
1: Um, I thought this was a very interesting pa- uh, patient because we were going to see, to look at the guttural pouch with these patients. And then the internal medicine guy called me and said, I'm seeing something different. So we saw that this tended artery which compared to the other side. And then what is interesting about this patient is that you're then going to do your research. You're going to look inside all the literature which' what's available, and then you find the human literature and going to think about that. So that's the most interesting part of finding all the stuff in other literature and say it might be a problem in this horse as well. So that was actually the most interesting part of it. And then telling the owner, we think we excluded all other things as a cause of the dysphagia and the coughing. And it might be this cause as it's describing human beings and we have seen this disformity uh, uh, clinically and with the CT. So we could try to embolize the artery and see what happens. It might function, it might not function. And happily the owner wanted to invest for this horse and. It was successful. So that's interesting finding some unexpected findings and still yeah, try to find a way to treat it. That's the most interesting part. And then, how would you say
0: that this study might be useful on a clinical aspect in the future?
1: Um, I think what it did in our clinics is that if you're going to look at your cultural pouch, Now you're going to look at your arteries in a different way, and then you see, okay, there's not a normal pattern. There is a normal pattern, but in different horses, it might be different as well. And maybe it can be a problem which doesn't cause clinical symptoms, but it's a little bit bigger. It might cause clinical symptoms, and that should be kept in mind. So does a change, the view on the cultural pouch. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, thank you, Astrid, for answering my questions today. That will be the end of this podcast. Uh, thanks for coming or accepting to do this podcast with me. And I hope to listen to you soon again.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be asked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal
1: forward